that solar saleswoman was back as <laughs> she came to the door. Like, you know, like the old days of door-to-door salesmen. You know, like, like she's there trying to sell solar panels for your roof. You know, it was amazing. It was a very, it was a very active morning. This is on fr- last Friday. Um, you know, I had my, uh, my HVAC place come over. They do the uh, prevent- preventative maintenance, which normally I wouldn't go for a maintenance plan like that. But, uh, you know, I had kind of a, a, an issue a year or two ago with the outdoor uh, air conditioning unit, right, where this, uh, this capacitor blew, blew out. And so we were without an air conditioner for a couple days before they could come uh, take a look at it. And it was just a bad capacitor. The guy's like, these used to last for 20 years. These days, you can't get good capacitors anymore. The supply chain, yada, yada. So he's like, yeah, a lot of these are blowing out within a year or so, it's, you know. Meanwhile, we were hot. Imagine trying to sleep without an air conditioner. Listen, I know there's people in the world that have to do that, but I, I don't want to. I like, I like it being nice and cold to go to sleep. You know, so I figured, you know, I, I know it's kind of, like, expensive, but the sort of maintenance plan, and they're like, oh, if you join this plan, we'll, we'll, you'll be the first on our list uh, if you have an emergency to come, come do it. So anyway, in the scheme of things, I'm like, all right, let's do this. So that guy came here. And we were, he was, uh, you know, cleaning out the, the uh, you know, the heating unit is in my, is in my attic, you know. It's, well, it's basically for both things. The heater actually has uh, uh, gas jets, you know, natural gas that it lights on fire and heats, heats the air going through. And then there's also a connection to the outside, to the uh, air conditioning unit. Because you really can't do the air conditioning unit inside because unlike heat where you can just sort of like... Uh, ignite some sort of flammable gas to create heat and just heat up the air you can't really cool down things there's not there's not like a frost flame like remember in my failed science fiction novels three repair i had this uh, fr- this idea of frost flame it was flames that just burn cold i'm sure a lot of other uh, fantasy authors have the same thing but we don't we don't have that in this reality uh in order to get something cold see there really is no such thing as cold there is only heat right when you, when you really get right down to it in the world of thermodynamics, there is only heat, okay? Right? Essentially, heat is what exists. So basically, the lack of heat is known as absolute zero, and that's really cold, okay? And then anything above absolute zero is a level of heat. Obviously, in the human range of things, we feel cold at a certain temperature and we feel hot at a certain, certain temperature. We like, we like a certain mid-range, such as like 70 degrees Fahrenheit is a good room temperature. You know, try to achieve that. When it's hot outside to cool inside, when it's cold outside, heat it up. You know, HVAC heating, ventilation, and air conditioning. I don't know why it's not just called air cooling. Air, you, you could condition the air to be hot or cold or humid or not humid. I don't know. But yeah, so basically, the air conditioning unit is essentially taking heat from the inside and moving it to the outside. So it's taking it from the air inside your house and transferring it to the air outside of your house. That's how it actually works, through a series of tubes. It, uh, and and uh, this magical substance, this Freon, some, something like Freon, or there's other kinds that can transfer heat uh, fr- from one place to another. So you transfer heat out of a place, and it naturally becomes colder. You see, it's, it's a very amazing invention. But anyway, he had just left, so I heard the doorbell ring. I'm like, what, is this guy back? No, no it's a solar saleswoman. She's like, hey, I'm back. <laughs> I'm like, hey, how's it going, solar saleswoman? <laughs> I didn't call her that, but she claims to live right down the street. And she was, like, name-dropping my neighbors. Oh, yeah, like, so-and-so and so-and-so, they're going to be getting solar panels. Do you want to meet with us and get solar panels? Like, 
She was, I mean, it was obviously this pitter-patter of sales talk. It was funny because she, she even said, you know, I don't like doing hard hard sales tactics. I do that at my, my regular job. This is like my side job. I don't do hard sales tactics. Really? I don't do the hard sell thing. It sounds pretty hard sell to me. So I should have just, I mean, I didn't want to slam the door in her face. I'm like, you know, I I was trying to say, you know, I don't, I don't know if this is essentially, you know, obviously it'd be wonderful if there were solar panels you could buy on top of your house and they magically create electricity and that's the end of it but it's it's not like that essentially you have to pay huge amounts of money you know to to buy these panels and install them and get it all hooked up so most people can't afford to spend whatever it is 15 or 20 thousand dollars i really don't know i'm just estimating so you gotta take out another loan and then you gotta pay back the loan every month and the idea is that it offsets your your power bill, and maybe if if it's sunny enough, maybe the two. So I read somewhere someone like it, someone's like it's great. You just you start paying it off, and then after six to eight years, it's all pure profit. <laughs> eight years later, you're actually paying more until eight years later. Then you finally caught up, right, with all of your payments and stuff, and now you're you finally have a bit of savings. And these things don't last forever. So after year eight now. As long as nothing happens, maybe you'll have a bit of a profit. So, yeah, maybe it is. Who knows? Maybe over the course of time it might work. But it doesn't seem like that great of a deal to me. Never mind. Like, in theory, I understand your personal finances. You're, you, you know, yes, after 8 to 10 years, you might be saving a few hundred dollars, I guess. I don't know. What would the savings be? Like, year on year, if you were to average, like, like the next 20 or 30 years with solar, what are you saving, like $500 a year or something? I, I would love to see that. So, like, you know, like you're going to go through all this hassle and all these issues, and then how much are you, you really saving, you know, over the course of time? These are the numbers I want to see. But anyway, you know, there's also the idea of every single bit of energy that went into making those solar panels, the mining of the, the material, the building of the factories, right, Averaging it all out, you know, how much energy went into making these things and, again, its ability to generate beyond what it costs to to uh, to build it. Now, listen, I know this is a whole politicized thing that, for some reason, people that are of a political ilk will, like, be for or against the alternative energy. I like to think I'm not I'm, – I'm sort of in the middle of all that. And, I would, of course, I think that – right – Imagine that solar panels were more efficient and battery technology was better and the technology just increased a bit. It would be a no-brainer. Everyone would have solar panels on their house, you know? And then the other thing is she's saying that she wants – like, who's she? She represents a solar company out of how many? Why would I go with her company? I'm sure there's better companies out there than hers. Anyway, I'm not going to get solar panels. Because she kept trying to, I, 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 at the end, I said, "Listen, you know." She's like, "Let's set up a meeting. You want to come down?" I'm like, "Listen, I'm, I'm not going to get solar panels. You can just stop right now." She's like, "Okay, bye." She's like, "I love my job. I love selling solar panels. Do you really?" Sounds like a great job. What is this? Well, there's constant like, what is going? This is like a neighborhood. This is like residential. Why is there constant? bashing and crashing I, I, like every day there's stuff going on listen to this crap what is being constructed what could it possibly be there's not any new houses around here what was it was it additions people putting on their houses or it's probably roofing i know people have to do do their roof over a couple times uh, every every couple decades yeah anyway 
I got a I wanted a good cigar here. That's very good. It's uh <clears throat> you know, I bought I bought a sample pack of all different cigars. This is Ramon Bueso, Genesis the Project. <laughs> so this is it's a very dreamlike name of for a cigar, right? Ramon Bueso Genesis the Project. <laughs> Almost sounds like a little science fiction movies where they're trying to terraform a planet or something. The Genesis Project. But anyway, this is pretty actually really good. I like being pleasantly surprised by a good cigar now and then. You know what I mean? Anyway, kind of, kind, kind of reminiscent to the uh, alternative energy issue. Oh my god! You know, I always talk about the theories of a new kind of economy, a resource-based economy, and also imagining what might happen once we achieve uh, this AI, this AGI, artificial general intelligence. Or the what do they call it? The, the synchronism? No, what's that thing they call it? There's a certain word. It's the uh, well, I can't remember it. But anyway, right? The idea that we can have machines, right, doing all the work, and then we could just live a life of leisure, right? Now, this has existed as without any kind of artificial intelligence, right? If we had used our resources of our society, and this was a big topic back in the 1960s and 70s, so we're talking like 50 years ago now, people were talking about how uh, modern infrastructures and uh, mechanization and cybernation, as they sometimes called it, was um, would allow for machines to do most of the work. People would still need to work, but if you were able to focus your efforts on producing the goods and services that people really want and need and uh, and eliminate the waste from the system that you could basically, everyone could only, maybe would need to work like three hours a week and the rest of the time could be leisure time. And I do think that was achievable in the 70s and they were anticipating that in the 70s as well. Of course, the big question was, what do you do with yourself now that you have all this free time? What does a society do with itself, a culture do with itself, when all the people have so much free time? And I feel that's a largely unexplored and unanswered question. I don't know the answer, and no one else knows the answer either. Well, they might know the answer if, for example, um, if people were able to, at high levels of power, are able to, um, you know, you know, the idea of um, splitting the world into into, into different timelines and then monitoring what happens in those timelines, right? You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> yeah. So, you know, say like, you know, the shadow government, they have this machine where they can create two different copies of the world, and since they have control of all world governments, again, this is all just in theory, right? In in timeline A, they can pursue one policy, and then timeline B, pursue a different policy. So you might say that, Yes, they did actually try out the utopian dream of the late 60s uh, on one of these timelines to see if it could possibly work. And perhaps it did not work. Perhaps it led to utter disaster. Hey, I don't know. But anyway, in theory, you could. And I would have to imagine that there would be some way to... And this this was a topic we talked about on a, a month or two back on, on, on uh, the exit ramp and then on my show. And there was a lot of concern over this because it overlaps with um, other political issues that I wasn't really super aware of. Like, you know, you know, the idea that um, 
any any idea or philosophy or political philosophy that could challenge the status quo in the future that they will have already poisoned people's minds against that uh, in the present. So the idea that right there would be some way of and I actually this actually happened when I was out in New Mexico I was talking to this guy about this topic and when I mentioned that there would be some way of figuring out you know once we get to this level where people don't really need to work anymore the mach- the robots will be doing all the work we could try to figure out like how do we run a society how to make sure people are living meaningful and engaged lives and they're not just miserable and he initially like lashed out at me like that is that is controlling you like it's like like it, as if that was the most wrong thing he had ever heard i couldn't even begin to describe what i was talking about to him he, he initially he had this uh reflex against such an idea right now meanwhile okay right if if this artificial intelligence reaches this level it's not like we're going to have a choice in the matter right we'll be faced with being able to raise the quality of life for everyone on the planet including all those people living in misery and living with hunger and disease and all sorts of things all without electricity all around the world we can fix that for them but at the same time it's going to remove the need for anyone really to do any work anymore right and it's not a technology it's a technology that would be very hard to suppress once it is released how could you tell someone that oh because uh, we don't like that philosophy we're going to allow you to continue to live in misery because we don't want to in- in- institute this stuff um so we know that this is a real possibility that's coming down the line once this technology is established right essentially machines will be able to do everything right build how they can build houses they can grow food put food on your table create clothing bring clothing to your room for you to wear like it can just do everything right because these tasks we're talking about it's not infinite there's a limited number of tasks that we we would want to supply people with the stuff that they need right goods and services so the idea is that a machine that can learn how to do things could learn how to do all these things so it's not like you know you can put your fingers in your ears and go la 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 and pretend it's not coming but it is in theory coming so my whole point was that so now we're faced with a society of people who are not at all familiar or used to the idea of a life of leisure now having to, it, to be enforced into a life of of leisure aren't there ways that we could begin to imagine um right structuring society or figuring out if if you do nothing right chances are it will turn into a bad situation people will become aimless and and depressed and not have any any real direction there's got to be something like start a bunch of clubs for various interests i don't know there has to be something um but apparently there's been people are very against the idea of any kind of well I, we don't want anyone telling us what to do well the, the idea is that we would it would be like not forcing you to do it but it would be providing like hey if you want to sit in your house and do nothing fine but here are some things that we've decided we w- might be in this new world a new way of people you know gathering and before doing activities together and right in the face 
of this new th- of this new thing. I just find it odd that there's not any. Uh, no one is seems to be caring. No one seems to care about this issue or talk about this issue. It almost so I said so. I think I was talking to this guy out in New, Mex- New Mexico, and I'm like, so it, if it happens. No one should plan anything. Just allow the chips to fall where they may. And he didn't even answer that question. But anyway, very interestingly, this past weekend, the the latest episode of Rick and Morty, the, the probably the most popular adult-oriented cartoon in the world, right? Uh, which I have watched all the episodes of, and it's act. This new season, there's now six episodes, and now they're taking a a, a month or two off. This season has actually been much better. The last couple seasons have been pretty dreadful. Uh, but this season is actually better. And the, this most recent episode called... Let me see if I can find it. Okay, here it is. Season 6, Episode 6. Overall, Episode 57. Jurixic Mork. Jurixic Mort. You know, they use the names of the characters to try to make movie names like Jurassic Park. So this episode amazingly addressed this very issue uh, in a way that I hadn't seen it addressed um, in many other forms of media and it was really quite surprising Um, the storyline was that uh, these spaceships come down to earth and it's the dinosaurs return they actually have super advanced beings now with almost godlike powers almost like Rick's powers and uh, they came back to earth and they said listen we're going to um, take care of, you know, we have the technology. We're going to create, we're going to do everything for you. You can just sit back and relax. You know, everything will be free, right? So in this case, the the um, advanced dinosaurs are sort of symbolically representing the the AGI systems that, of the future that would do everything. And it shows a world where everything is free and people can do whatever they want. And in this episode, uh, people were very frustrated. They didn't like the world with this. But, in fact, the president of the United States in, in the show says, you know, I can, we can't reject your offer because of all the poor people in the world. But still, uh, you know, so, yeah, obviously, again, that's the exact question that I was talking about with AGI, um, that – how do you reject this technology when it can improve the quality of life for people that are suffering now, right? That So it weirdly was addressing a, a super big topic that is almost like seems to be almost forbidden to talk about. Rick and Morty brought this up. And in the show, people were just miserable living uh, this life of luxury. And in the end, Rick destroyed, you know, got rid of the dinosaurs and the earth went back to everything being scarce and people living the life that they're living. Uh, so I don't know that the conclusion of it was just that, oh, it's bad if if machines do all the work and people can live a nice life. That's bad. So it, it, the conclusion of it was kind of disappointing in my opinion, but at least they were bringing the topic up, even in this with dinosaurs and stuff and in a, in a humorous cartoon vein. Um, the fact that it was brought up, I thought was extremely interesting. So you could look at this in one of two ways. <laughs> I'm sure there's more than two. I always rail against there being only two ways. But anyway, the idea that 
somehow someone knows the answer to this, that there's no way to structure a human society of leisure where people will feel, will, will be able to live a good life, right? Somehow they know it. And for our own good, they're suppressing the artificial intelligence technology so that we don't ever go through that. On the other hand, uh, there's an echelon of power that wants to remain in control of the world. And this technology would remove their leverage, right? Whatever it may be, controlling energy, controlling the narrative, controlling what's on TV and the news and the politics and everything. Once there is no scarcity, once people have everything they need, what the hell is this? <laughs> There's some weird vehicle coming up the street. It is a little little bulldozer thing. A front end loader, you know, like the uh, hydraulic uh, bulldozer thing on the front and then the little claw thing on the back. What, what is that called? I don't know. It's a little one coming up the street. It's red. Sort of a, a, a dark orange-red color. Anyway... <laughs> Yes, of course. Of course, bizarre vehicles are driving down the street. Uh, so, in the sense that it's that this could actually lead to something good for society, and that people want to stop it so they can remain in control, and their you know and their rationale for being in control is mistaken, then we could say that's kind of a tragedy, right? And of course, on the show, I've I've detailed other theories of mine, such as this world has been built in a way to kind of optimize um, the human experience considering our genome and that we could ne- we in th- you know perhaps we there are AGI already happened that's the idea right the um, why can't I think of the word let me, let, let me look it up the singularity that's what they're calling it the singularity right here, here's what Wikipedia has to say about it the technological singularity uh, it's a hypothetical point in time at which technological growth will become radically faster and uncontro- uncontrollable, resulting in unforeseeable changes to human civilization. According to the most popular version of the singularity hypothesis, I.J. Good's intelligence explosion model, an upgradable intelligent agent will eventually enter a runaway reaction of self-improvement cycles, each new and more intelligent generation appearing more and more rapidly, causing an explosion in intelligence and resulting in a powerful superintelligence that qualitatively far surpasses all human intelligence. Right. I kind of view, yes, that's what's going to happen. I would, the, the word intelligence, of course, is one of those words that has a very uh, slippery understanding or definition ultimately, but I would say uh, a capability, uh, increasing capability to perform tasks, right? Which you could say intelligence is related to that. So the idea that what we now have people doing, building houses, building cars, with the assistance of machines, uh, a machine could do completely, right? So you say, I want to create a new car. And the machine's like, describe it to me. Well, it would be this green car with these fins and and then you describe the car, it'll, sh- it'll create a 3D model of it. Is this what you want? Yes. So then it, it could either, b- it would build a facility using robots, building a, a, a factory and machines in the factory that could then build any number of these cars, right? 
that's the idea that 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 would be one thing um and in all areas of human endeavor like farming you know we want to grow more sorghum or whatever crop you want more pawpaws you know like it would be able to figure out how to plant them in the most efficient way harvest them in the most efficient way right but do it all without human involvement you, you know what i mean and this would because it's a self-improvement cycle and i think this is what some people may not realize the whole key to it is a self-improvement cycle that is right now machines really can't improve themselves right they just we make the machine it does what it does and then we have humans have to design and test and implement the um, the next version based on what we learned on the version one we're going to create version two that's a little bit better the idea is that when a when a system can do this it would all be happening inside computer servers right that it could self-improve which is something that doesn't exist yet that's the whole idea self-improving in theory the cycle could go very quickly and very fast right so that's the issue but as I theorized in the past um, a lot of things could go wrong obviously but let's say it all went right so the idea is that why do we have machines today why do I have an H why do I have central air and central heating in my house well so that it's not super cold or super hot in my house so I can be comfortable in my house that's why we made the machine right so the machines are made for uh, supporting human lives right our homes our transportation our food our clothing all the basics right our entertainment so the idea is that a system like that would not ignore how work having jobs is central to our current way of life people's self self image self identity how they relate to other people is all very much related to this lack of resources this scarcity of things and that their work to make money and how they relate to other people right relates to their satisfaction of life so the idea is that as the machine takes that away from us the need to work it would face as a central task the machine would how can people remain happy and healthy and feel satisfied in this new world the machines would necessarily take that task on and reverse engineer and figure people out right what was that show where there's a show yeah i think it was westworld where the mach the machine was doing something like that like figuring out people figuring out their personalities and why they do what they do the idea is that it would uh formulate um new systems to implement in the world in order to make people as happy as they can be so one theory is that this singularity already happened many years ago it's in the past and that the world that we see today right with all of this uh you know economic issues every, everything's rising in prices and jobs and everything else seemingly like our lives are in a turmoil maybe this is the happiest we can be and yes i realize that is also a central theme in the first matrix movie 
that people weren't satisfied with simulations of paradises and that the uh, the way of life represented in like 1999 for example was considered sort of like the optimal way human beings can somewhat enjoy life so i understand that but these are all just theories and it's all fanciful thinking what if so the main thing is just with this whole issue right i don't know and rick and morty don't know and no one knows really what the answer is what if right this new this new system the singularity this agi could lead to a world where people's lives are remarkably better, richer, have deeper meaning, and a, and a wonderful experience. It could be something amazing and really cool and really awesome, right? That we shouldn't just ignore and reject because we've heard all these stories in science fiction or all these political th- philosophies. No, maybe this could be an amazing moment in humanity and the most important moment ever where everything gets so much better for everyone living on this planet. I understand that's not guaranteed, but it is absolutely a possibility, and that's a possibility I don't like seeing people trashing, ignoring, and rejecting so early in the process. You see what I'm saying? Hey, it's a bit later on now. So uh, I'm going to see Stereo Lab in Brooklyn tonight. Um, Stereo Lab is really one of my favorite bands ever. And um, hold on, let me bring up a song here. And uh, it's a band most people have never heard of. And it's an incredibly difficult band to describe to someone because if you just play them one song, it's going to be extremely confusing. There really are um, a band, you know, the, I, I guess I would describe them as sort of pop music from another dimension, but that doesn't describe it very well. Here's a song called The Free Design. This is one of my favorites, but I have so many favorites by them. This is from their album Cobra and Phases Group Play Voltage in the Milky Night from 99. I think this is overall their best album, but all their albums are great. But it would be so confusing to try to explain this because it sort of takes pop music inspired by... Here we go. Anyway, <clears throat> it's one of the few songs where the title actually matches up to the lyrics. <laughs> Usually they use like random phrases as their song titles. But yeah, I mean, their music is, is very inspired by library music, kraut rock, and other back corners and edges and realms of, of pop music that generally is not very well known. And uh, with Leticia Sade's, um kind of almost deadpan vocals, which often take on kind of a political socialist message. It's again, it's hard to describe. And I feel like the best music is music that the more you listen to it, the more you get out of it. And the more I listen to Stereo Lab, just the more I love it. I never get tired of Stereo Lab. And uh, I remember 
they were playing in New York a number of years ago. I remember I was at that place, Toy Tokyo, down on like Second Avenue by St. Mark's, and I heard on the radio that Stereo Lab is playing. And I've never really been like very motivated to go see live music, and I'm like, I should go see them. Ah, now I'll see them next time. And then they broke up. They broke up many years ago. So now that they're back, they're not really producing new music, but they are releasing their um, Switched On series. They have so many um, singles and obscure tracks. Like like this 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 song was only available uh, for like five days in a museum in Germany in like 2002. <laughs> like things like that. And they've been releasing all that music in the Switched On series. And they just released the fifth entry in the Switched On series. In fact, they've had two, four and five have come out after their breakup. Amazing music. Uh, all of their stuff is amazing. And they may even still have more. I don't know if they're ever going to get back together in terms of making new music. You might hope now that they're sort of together performing. Um, I don't know. Someone like the musicians in Stereolab, Tim Gain and Letitia Sadie especially. Mary Hansen, unfortunately, died in a bicycling accident many years ago in England. Um, and there's other members as well. But they were married, the two main members, and then they divorced. So that definitely puts a, puts a bit of a bit of a crimp in the, in the, uh, the band dynamics. Um, you know, I would hope that they could get back to it because why not? But who knows? It doesn't really – it's not really that big of a deal because the, the body of work that they have created is absolutely remarkable. Almost all of it now is on streaming. In fact, some stuff that wasn't on streaming recently, like the last album, Not Music, I believe, and uh, the Lo-Fi EP, are, they have, it's all on streaming now, so you can hear all of it. I don't know that it's an easy band to get into because, again, it's so kind of puzzling and – they really hit their popularity peak in the mid-90s uh, with um, Emperor Tomato Ketchup. But all of the records they released after that are so different and so amazing. And the rev- even the reviewers in the music magazines didn't know what to make of them. They like, all their albums sound the same. And that couldn't be more from the truth. They're one of the most unique bands and the greatest bands ever. And what an important part of my life. So I saw they're coming around to Brooklyn, so I bought tickets. I bought two tickets thinking maybe I could find someone to go with me, but it's a hard sell because no one knows the band and no one knows the songs that I know. (laughs) Very few people have ever even heard of Stereolab. So I sold one of the tickets on, I I had to get the Access app, AXS. So I sold one of the tickets and it it sold. I I sold it for five, it was only 40 bucks. I sold it for $35. So that that went quick. And it's all general admission. There's no seats in this place. This is in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. And I'm thinking about, you know, Brooklyn and like these hipsters and stuff, but I'm thinking about like the Brooklyn from like 20 years ago and the hipsters there. What about the current Brooklyn? Are there still hipsters there and stuff? I don't know. So, yeah, uh, this is going to be, uh, you know, th- there's one aspect of tonight's uh, concert that I'm not looking forward to, which is the trip home. Now, to get there, I'm going to leave around 5, 5.15 to get the 5.30 bus to Port Authority. From there, I can take the AC or E subway down to the L train on 14th street and take the L out to what's the name of that street? I have to memorize the name of the street, damn it. Uh, Brooklyn Steel. Okay. Let's see. <coughs> the subway stop is called Graham Avenue. Right after Lorimer. I think my brother used to live near Lorimer. I remember getting off at, at Lorimer to visit my brother. But Graham Avenue. 
Then it's another ten minute walk over to Brooklyn Steel, which going there will be fine. It, it's gonna it takes you know it'll take two two to two and a half hours to get there. Um, probably more around the two and a half hours, so five thirty to seven. It doors open at seven, but then possible traffic jams or subway delays. I, I want to make you know I'm sure. At eight, the opening band, which is called what is the opening band called? Something like Blue TV or something. Blue something TV. I'm trying to see. Blue Jazz TV is the opening band. So I'm assuming Stereo Lab will go on around nine and play till around ten thirty or eleven. Uh, I can't believe I'm going to see them. It's I'm I'm really so ha- so jazzed to to see them. I'm so happy that I'm going to see them. But then I'll be leaving the venue. God only knows what time it'll be ten thirty or eleven, and then. I'm not going home from Manhattan is kind of bad enough on mass transit late at night, but now I'm going back from one of the outer boroughs. So, got to get the L train back to to 8th Avenue to get on the AC&E uptown and then back to the bus terminal. And as you know, the bus terminal at night is this strange like uh it's a strange feeling in the Port Authority bus terminal at night like when it's late like every minute passes by like an hour it's like time dilation and the buses are not too good so <clears throat> my bus options are pretty limited and uh and yes i probably could wait for my wife to come home and drive in but i i, I would the torture of driving through brooklyn i'll go through this instead of that and not to mention the expense it's much cheaper to take mass transit um so uh there's a 1040, which back to Nutley here, which is I'm certainly not going to make that one. Um, the next one to Nutley is 1240. That's the last bus. Ugh. But there is an 1110 and an 1140 that come near my house, but I have to walk for about 20 minutes to a half hour from the bus stop to get home. So I think I'm going to have to choose between the 1140 and the 1240. But to me. Like, if I can get the 1140, which does seem within the realm of possibility, right? Depending what time the show ends. If I get, then, if I can get the 1140, I don't mind, you know, having to walk a bit through my town at night. I've done that before. But if not, if I get there, like, at 1150, I have to sit there for, like, 50 minutes in that space. The 300 gates at the Port Authority bus terminal is going to just be... Ugh. But anyway, listen, there's no there's no easy way of getting from the outer boroughs back to Jersey at night. Because the driving, I have driven back, like, from Brooklyn. We recently went to see, uh, what, Jack White there, right? At, a, another, at another part of Brooklyn, at the King's Theater. And, um, you know, it is just a pain driving around there. So, anyway. <laughs> listen, it's worth it to see Stereolab. But yeah, there's no seats. I got to stand the whole time. But I I did the same thing. I stood the whole time for for uh, Luna a few weeks back, a few months back. And I'm not going to bring my recorder in because I don't, you know, I don't want them to confiscate my recorder if I'm going in. I I certainly have no desire to record the show, but I may be I may record on my phone. So we'll see. I'm, I'm I've sort of formulated my plans for the show here. But anyway, that's going to be the uh, the big uh, <laughs> the big thing. Stereo Lab. It's been a dream of mine to see them live for such a long time. Let me see when they broke up, actually. Let's see, see the history of the band. I think like 2012 or something. It's a long time ago now. Let's see what we can say here. 
Oh, 2009 they broke up. Yeah, that, that, that's, I think, when I was going to see them live was in 2009. Wow. And I guess in 2019 they came back doing live shows but not uh, any, any more music. Yeah, that's interesting. So yeah, they 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 started touring again. Listen, I don't I don't know the ins and outs or or, or anything about um, what exactly is going what is going on with them, but you know, as you might imagine, I don't know how much money someone can make in a, in these kind of bands. And I know they've tried to go on to, with other bands. I know uh, Tim Gain has a new band called Ghost Power that I've heard a little bit of, but none of the solo projects even begin to approach the amazingness of Stereo Lab. So, I don't know if they just kind of ran out of money and just decided to start touring again. I don't know. It doesn't seem like a bad thing because, you know, they're sell- there's, there's enough fans out there that they can sell out these small venues. So, you know, it's... Uh... But I'm glad I'll be able to see them. So, I came up with an idea for a time travel technique that is uh, a little bit different than other time travel techniques that I've thought of in the past or that other futurists or science fiction writers have come up with. I'm sure someone must have thought of this one, but I think it's really interesting. Um, It's kind of related to... uh, There's a TV show called Devs, D-E-V-S, that touched on some similar topics. But the idea is that... um, In devs, they were using like a supercomputer to figure out like everything that had ever happened, right? The idea that, you know, for example, you could you could sort of understand every atom and how it moves. You could sort of go backwards and figure out from cause and effect what it was like a minute ago, two minutes ago, a thousand years ago. It was something like that. And by that, they were able to sort of reconstruct the past and then the future as well. In this idea, imagine uh, you're able to uh, use some kind of technology to um, be able to view um, all of the past, right? Again, this would be a kind of a technology where you could see um, either from information that currently exists or by inferring it, all of what did exist in the past, right? Then expanding that to uh, all the alternate timelines that could have existed. And this is kind of more related to the um, the many worlds theory and quantum theory, uh, of which I must admit I'm not super conversant in, but I think you get the idea that this technology would be able to um, just simply gain the information of what happened in the past in all possible realities that could have existed, right? So think this huge field of information of everything that could have happened in the past from the mo- the starting moment of time, the Big Bang, whatever you want to say, right? So you could focus in on um, one person's life and follow that person from birth to death using this system you're simply looking at the past it's a passive system you're not changing anything in the past you're simply observing it right and the idea is that you would be able to um, find a person in the past and gain all the information about 
you know, what was around them, the physical structures of things, the thoughts that were going through their head, etc. It all is part of this quantum foam or the, I know, the Akashic records, they call it in some traditions. So the idea is you could imagine that with this type of technology, you could, um, almost like watching a movie, you could sort of plug into some sort of virtual reality system and sort of become a person in the past, seeing what they're seeing, uh, feeling what they're feeling. And you could even possibly, by um, you know, this system could temporarily suppress your knowledge of your current self so that your immersion could be complete. Again, this is simply extracting information from the past. It's not doing anything to change the past. It's just extracting information. So you could sort of go in and, like, become a person in the past and live their life as if you were them, right, through a simulation. But what you couldn't do is you couldn't really be yourself living in the past, right? You, you would have to sort of be a passive observer at someone's life. And the best you could do would be to, um, you know, immerse yourself so much that you'd forget your real self and just become that person. But I think what you'd want to do is you'd want to retain some level of your your mind and your will. The idea of time travel, after all, is going back to the past but still retaining your mind from the present, Right. Even if you can't physically go back, you can you can go back as one of the people that lived in the past, but you can't really control what they're doing, or can you? So here's the idea. So considering that um, this system could not just see one past, but all possible pasts, right? All the variations, the device could simulate you going back in time with your own thoughts and with your own willpower, right? By you're choosing a person and you're then, uh, it's hard to put into words. The technology would involve your will and intent, like what you want to do like so let's say the person in the year 8000 right that's looking back to the year 2022 let's say um you want to do that thing where you're you're observing someone's life that's been recorded in the quantum foam you're in the simulator but now you want to apply some of your own will now obviously you can't really go back in time but what you can do is your will and your decisions, you can synchronize with this device finding timelines where that person did the thing that you want them to do. So, for example, if right, if they're facing two doors left and right and in the original timeline they went left and you're like, no, I want to go right, you can actually synchronize with a timeline where they went right. You see what I'm saying? So it could be like you're living in the past but as your future self, right? By synchronizing through alternate timelines that match your intention. And it could become this seamless experience where you're able to um, 
express your will and desire of what you want that person to do, it's all passive. It's all stuff that already happened. But by sync, by focusing in on uh, the timeline variation w- that s- synchronizes with your will, with what you want to decide. So, for example, if you're like, I'd love to go on a vacation to uh, to Spain in 2022, you would uh, fi- you would that person could have possibly gone to Spain. You will focus in on a timeline where they did wind up going to Spain. You see what I'm saying? And from moment to moment, that you could then, um, you know, it could then allow you, you could block out the true knowledge of who you really are in the year 8000, but retain your own personality and your own will so that you're living this hybrid life in the past by synchronizing uh, alternate timelines of stuff that already happened. But it's like you're, I know this, this, I came up with this idea, but it's, it is kind of mind boggling really um, that you're right. You're just finding a version of what happened that matches up with what you would have liked to have happened. I don't know if I'm describing that properly, but anyway, <laughs> Uh, I think that could work in in the context of if that technology was possible. Um, So I find it interesting. And then, of course, um, we get to... And then I think this actually relates to what I was talking about earlier, right? Beyond all of any specific theory, you know, the phrase I use is what pleases the observer, which is that, right... We talk about the universe. We talk about what, how it may have come into being, this and that. But there is this thing, consciousness, that each of us experiences being an observer of this stuff, right? The central mystery of our existence is consciousness. And I know that I am conscious because I am experiencing this. I am observing this right now, even though I don't at the moment understand how this all came to be. I am observing it. So why am I observing this and not something else? Could it be that this particular time period with a planet of humans is especially interesting or enticing or it represents um, something that is an important work of art, so to speak, in the cosmos? You might say, well, if it's such a great idea to create this utopia on Earth, why aren't we focusing on that? Why isn't the observer living through that as opposed to living through this somewhat messed up reality, right? As in terms of what we can know, right? And I've said this many times, we can know that there is an observer because we're observing it. We're we're making an observation and there's something generating what is being observed. Right? Some Somehow what, right, the observer and what is being observed appear to be potentially two separate things. They may be the same thing ultimately, but, right, beyond those two things, that there is an observer and there's something being generated to be observed, we can't really know anything else, right? It could all just be a complete illusion, Right. Nothing else we can really know. No amount of science or measuring things will really give us a definitive answer. But 
as I can say, being conscious and observing this and experiencing this, I know that the observer exists. Don't know the nature of it, and we know something's being created. That's all we can really know, as far as I can tell, for certain. Because it's right in front of me, and hopefully all of us are conscious. I don't know. I mean, there's that whole theory of solipsism, which each of us that's experiencing something could be the only being in the universe and everything else part of the illusion. As much as it may seem other people are experiencing things on their own, it could all just be an act. It could all just be an illusion. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I thought that was an interesting new time travel technique, which is kind of sad because you're not really in the past, but you're synchronizing with timelines that match your intention. Great. That's <laughs> yeah, another great theory here on the Overnightscape. Anyway. Uh, I have returned to working on Tapeland. This is, of course, my series of shows presenting uh, archival material. Originally, it was just audio, but now I have uh, started including uh, important historic videos. Look, the last one I, I did was uh, Weasels 89, the last video I did. That was in April, and it's currently October. Actually, yeah, almost exactly, uh, what, six months later? Yeah, though so I did release an audio Tapeland Fuzzy Dauphner practice on the 28th of April. But yeah, I felt I just I didn't say I'm going to take a break, but I just I guess I needed to take a break from Tapeland. But I'm back now with I think one of the most epic and most difficult uh, Tapelands yet, The Complete Polarized Worlds. And I've been working on it uh all weekend long, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday, which was Columbus Day, I had the day off. Been working on uh, The Complete Polarized Worlds. This is the raw footage um, of us filming our Doctor Who fan film in the summer of 1985. And um, I did put the audio of most of this on the archive uh, under the name Video Kids 85 many years ago. So the audio has been online, but the video has been, it's incredibly, there's so much going on. Because I was filming more than I needed to to get sort of the behind the scenes and... Um, we did all these convent, uh, sort of conceptual videos, kind of inspired by art videos I had seen on PBS and stuff. Uh, things like rat music and cat hymn and all these different. What, what are some of the conceptual videos that we did? It's just, it's really, I, I just find this amazing stuff. Um, conceptual videos. The Chair, Rat Music, New Wave Corner, Chris Live, Name That Definition, all these different little videos we made and um i'm currently three hours and 14 minutes in let's let's see what's going on in the video here at this time let's see if we can find uh because i'm going through and just uh watching it taking out the gaps you know you know there's a lot of static in between and then it just goes to a blue screen so i've been editing that out and just really watching it and just thinking about it and should it just be one long thing? I think it's going to be six to eight hours long. Um, I mean, there's one part where I just show uh, a series of comic book covers of Alpha Flight with an uh, Alan Parsons Project instrumental behind it. I think Hypergamma Spaces, maybe. There's so much stuff. 
Here we are on the back porch. And there's Gilbert Chang, who I don't think he wound up even being in the movie. I think somehow he he was going to be... I think this guy, um, Charles, was gonna was playing Terry, and then he had to... He had to go to Florida or something, go on vacation somewhere. So then we got this guy Gilbert, but then I think he had to go away. So then we, we wound up getting this guy, this guy Chris Baronio to be the character, I think. I regenerated him as the Black Guardian. But uh, yeah, this, I mean, this is going to take a while to go. Th- I mean, there's, I still have hours and hours and hours to go through, but this has been such a, such a really cool project. And this is like a hurdle I have to get past. And there's a lot more videos I need to work on. By the way, I did email Jim, I think back in December when I released the, I found the final version of this Doctor Who movie, um, and I did release it, I think, last December, and I really tried my hardest. I think I really did find his email address. I wrote him a long email. He never wrote back, so I don't know what's going on with him. <laughs> you know, I mean, this is his movie. You'd think he'd want to see, see it or something, but I don't know. And how long ago is that? 85? It's a long time ago now. This is Charles Simonecki. We're better place replacing with... Um, Ninety-five, It'll be 40 years in a few years, so it's like 37 years ago? Wow. Talk about peering into the past. But I was thinking, like, how overwhelming it is to have to, like, revisit this tiny slice of the past for me. And to think of the enormity of the past that exists, I guess you have to be at a higher level to really grok the whole thing, to really get the whole thing, right? I would assume. But I was thinking, like, you know, like, there's this current obsession with Stranger Things. The kids of today are obsessed with, you know, kids in the teenagers in the 80s. But here are actual teenagers in the 80s. You can see it. Maybe it's not as fun as it, as people imagine it would be, but, you know. I think this would be of interest to some people. Just actual slice of life. Like, we're making a movie in the backyard in 1985. Ow! Ow. Um, give him a Jim, let me ask you a question, Jim. Jim. That's me. Do you think there's any way in the whole world we're going to uh, it is also very cringe for me to watch this, but you know, because because I whenever I'm acting like kind of a jerk in this, it just annoys me. <laughs> Even though that was me 37 years ago, I, but it's so funny. I'm I still I'm still like, like the same person, but I've just grown a bit as a, as a person, but still basically the same person as I was back then. <laughs> very strange, revisiting the past. Oh, he's going to Nova Scotia, yeah. 
Jim Middlebrook is going to um, Florida. Everyone's taking summer vacation. It's ruining our movie. Charles actually found on Facebook, so I, I friended him. I, I, you know, I chatted back and forth with him a couple times. So it's kind of cool to see see how these people look thirty seven years later. <laughs> you know, we're all a, a bit older than we were back then as 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 young kids. But yeah, I'd, I'd love to. I'd love for Jim Glenn to get in contact. But you know, there's only so much you can do. If someone wants to remain hidden, I, I suppose they can remain hidden. I'm not going to, what am I going to hire detectives to find this guy? I mean, listen, I'm just going to leave him alone. I don't know. What do you want? You try to contact someone, you know. Remember we made that movie 37 years ago? No? See, and also I realized maybe not everyone is, is as obsessed with this kind of stuff as I am. Like, my God, I, I, I made a Doctor Who fan film in 1985. I have to think about it. I have to talk about it. I have to preserve it. Like, maybe people are like, yeah, F that. I don't... That was what? I don't want anything to do... Like, a lot of people probably don't want anything to do with that stuff, like, when they were young, you know? Where's Different personality the types. And it's wild, because I, you know, I was just on that back porch, you know, just the other day. Like, my father still lives there, and I think they even have the same thermometer with, like, the circular thermometer with the birds on it and stuff, so, Yeah. The past inside the present, as Boards of Canada says. So I had one decision this morning. What T-shirt to wear to the Stereo Lab concert? You know, I really I don't have any Stereo Lab T-shirts. <clears throat> I don't even know if it's good to wear the, the T-shirt of the band you're going to anyway. So I want to be like a real hipster. I chose from what shirts. Well, I, a lot of my shirts are in the laundry or in the hamper, so whatever I had left. I chose my mumbly shirt. Yes, the Hanna-Barbera character, the the blue dog with a trench coat. I'm sure that will at least confuse the hipsters, if not. Uh, I don't know if anyone will actually recognize the character, but of course, mumbly is kind of a unique situation when it comes to cartoon characters because uh, he's clearly based on a character called Muttley from um, the Wacky Races, right? And And he worked with, and also from some other ones, like Stop That Pigeon or whatever. He worked with Dick Dastardly, who was sort of your stereotypical, like, 1920s-style villain with the twisty mustache. And uh, Muttley was his sort of, like, asshole assistant. They would always go... <laughs> he sort of delighted when his evil master, like, screwed up. And, and it definitely seems that um, those characters were based on... Like Jack Lemmon was a villain in uh, The Great Race, a movie I have not seen in many years, but um, we used to, for some reason, we were really into it as kids. I guess The Wacky Races probably was inspired by The Great Race. Tony Curtis, and then uh, Peter Falk as uh, as Max, the assistant to uh, Jack Lemmon's evil, evil guy. Um, so it seems like that's where the inspiration came from. So apparently, from what I heard... Wacky Races was in some ways a co-production between Hanna-Barbera and some other and some other company so that when they wanted to reuse the characters they there was some question about whether they had full legal rights to them again don't quote me on that that's just just what i heard so when they wanted to reintroduce such characters uh, in like the Laugh Olympics they uh, created um 
the Dread Baron and Mumbly, right, as slightly altered versions of Dick Dastardly and Muttley. Mumbly then wearing a trench coat, oddly reminiscent of another Peter Falk character, Columbo from uh, the TV series uh, where he was this uh, detective guy. Uh, anyway, Mumbly, almost identical to Muttley, but a different character. So I have never really seen a T-shirt. I, fa- I found on one of those T-shirt sites uh, someone made a Mumbly T-shirt. So anyway, that will be a good T-shirt for tonight. Anyway, um, <clears throat> had an eye issue this weekend, which was rather annoying. Um, was driving down to see my father on Saturday, and it, f- it felt like there's some- something bothering my right eye. And uh, it was annoying me, so when I finally uh, got to the parking lot of that health food store, I um, I looked in the mirror of the car and I saw that like a, uh, a like there was annoying. It was like a long eyelash had had kind of like was kind of like was like uh, pointing down and kind of sticking me in the eye. I'm like, what the hell? That happens occasionally on, on your eyebrow. Like one hair grows much longer than the other ones. It's really annoying. I'm like, oh, well, there's the explanation somehow. How, how, how likely is that, that this hair on this uh, eyebrow is, like, poking me in the eye? That's what I thought, at least. Um, so I didn't really think anything of it, but it got worse and worse when I got home. And I realized my eyes started to, like, uh, get red and puffy and, and swollen so I started looking up, like, what what could this possibly be? And there's all these different explanations of what could cause this. Usually they're saying it's not too serious, uh, you know. But on, on Sunday I ordered uh, eye drops from, uh, from Amazon for same-day delivery. I wound up with uh, the clear eyes, complete triple relief. These actually have been very good. So, yeah, so my eye really was bad. And I think what it is is a sty because – I could see, I think it's, a sty is essentially something like a pimple, but in this case, it's on the inside of the, my right upper eyelid, which I know is very annoying, very, anything related to the eye, you don't even want to think about, like, how sensitive your eyes are and stuff, um, ugh, just give you shivers thinking about it, but it, it's been rather uncomfortable, but the clear eyes does actually work, so there's, there's a little endorsement, clear eyes, so I guess it is a sty, I, I never knew what a sty was, but it does, it, it's less serious than I thought. I thought it was something like really like, it's just sort of like a pimple basically. And it, it seems like it's getting better today. So it's, so it's the symptoms started on Saturday, Sunday, Monday. So this is like three days later and it's a little bit better, but I'm still using the eye drops, which really work really, you know, you always, you always hear people have a visine and all these eye drops. Like I never really needed eye drops, but in this case they're really helping. So anyway, Hopefully that'll clear up, but it's been kind of annoying the past couple of days. And then, weirdly, on uh, Sunday, my wife Denise she went over to her friend's house to help with uh, her friend's daughter's birthday party as a fa- uh, to do face painting because they couldn't find a face painter. And she figured, you know, even though my wife had never done it before, she's a good artist, so she went over and uh, did it. And uh, she then painted her own face with like you know some generic horror stuff because you know it's Halloween season. You know what I've noticed is this year. And I don't know if it if it was previous years. You know, Halloween, the holiday with all things horror and scary and monsters and stuff. You know, it's, it's, it's uh, October thirty first at the end of the month. Now I know that there's been this trend uh, for people to like start doing Christmas decorations earlier and earlier and earlier, which to me kind of like wrecks the Christmas season. Like 
to me, there was an official start to the Christmas season, which was at the end of the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. Then Santa Claus arrives. Then start with the Christmas decorations and stuff. And when it comes to the Halloween decorations, I don't know. Give it like two weeks. Like start in the middle of October. But last month, like the beginning of September, I started seeing people with skeletons in their front yard and pumpkins and stuff. It's like people get so hung up on this stuff. They, they want it to last much longer. It's really weird. So anyway, the kids all wanted, even though it was a birthday party, they all wanted horror stuff. So, And apparently all these like 10-year-old kids are all like into Stranger Things. Even though they're not allowed to watch it, they're all aware of, of it. They're like become obsessed with the 80s, you know. The kids of today are obsessed with the 80s, you know. Well, it really was such a better time than it is today. I, I think they, I think deep down they realized that uh, they, they got gypped by, by being born in this time period and not being able to be a kid in the 80s. Anyway, um, so she actually painted like some spider webs on her face, but then like a black eye around her right eye with red around it. And she said it wasn't deliberately in reference to my eye thing because my eye thing wasn't as bad. I just sort of mentioned it to her the night before. Maybe subconsciously she drew red around her right eye. So then like we, our, our neighbors got back from their trip to Europe and like we're sitting there and she has this face paint with this red red around her right eye. And my eye is like swollen. So we're both sitting there and our right eyes are all messed up. <laughs> Isn't that weird? It's weird eye issues. But I think it's getting better today. So hopefully it will not interfere with my appreciation of Seeing Stereo Lab live, yes. Talking and in a related issue, um, you know, I do wear glasses. Uh, you know, I'm nearsighted, so I need them for distance. And uh, you know, they get dirty all the time, so you need these lens wipes. And uh, I don't know. A while back, I got these uh, Blue Merlin brand pre-moistened lens and screen cleaning wipes. And uh, I know I talked about this when I got it because Blue Merlin is a, is a wizard bird, and. Uh, the, it's just a picture of a blue bird with like a wizard hat, you know, with like stars and moons on it and stuff. And, you know, there's like, right in that Brady Bunch TV show, there was a wizard bird. There's been a few wizard birds. In fact, there's another wizard bird I'm going to talk about today, too. Wow. A lot of wizard birds today. Wow. I didn't even realize there's another one on, on the docket, on, on the plan to talk about another wizard bird. But anyway, so this is Blue Merlin. It says, Blue Merlin, uh, ultra-effective, cleans like magic. Blue Merlin wipes are individually wrapped. Keep several of our convenient wipes at home, at work, in your car, in your pocket, or purse, with your camera, or, or with your camera or electronic devices. So these are good, and I like the brand. So I was, uh, I was running out of them. In fact, there's only like two left here. So I go on Amazon, and I find that Blue Merlin has been completely discontinued. It's not available anymore. This company went out of business. And uh, I'm like, uh-oh. So should I keep this box as a... It's from Koala Lifestyle, Huntington, New York. Should I keep this? Is this like a collectible, the, a blue Merlin lens white box from, from, the, from the 2020s? I don't know. But so I had to get a new one, less, less fun. But there's 400 in here. This is uh, Care Touch. Not as fun as the wizard bird. Care Touch pre-moistened lens and screen wipes. Okay. Let me grab one of these. Reminds me of the old the old fashioned remember wash and dries? Before they had that um what do they call that stuff? That uh hand cleansing fluid that, that you don't have to wash off, you know what I'm talking about? 
why can't I think of the name of that stuff? It's been everywhere since this COVID, you know? Hand sanitizer. That's It's called sanitizer. Yeah, before hand sanitizer. they Right? It's amazing. It's just like gooey liquid you smear sh- on your hands, and somehow it all evaporates. You don't have to, like, sh- you don't have to, like, rinse it off with water, and it disinfects your hands. Uh, before then, we had wash and dry, which is kind of a similar concept, but that's what these are like. So let's see. I, I mean, is this a- going to be a step down from Blue Merlin? It's probably the same stuff. It's probably the... No, this is a little, the, the alcohol smells a little bit different on these. I like Blue Merlin. I can never have it again. Come on, Koala Lifestyles. Get, get with it. Go back in business. Second up, Blue Merlin. There must be some new old stock or some dead stock somewhere. I don't know. Let's see. So I'm going to clean these glasses for my trip out to Brooklyn today. Ay, ay, ay. The last time I was on the L train, it was like this complete disaster. It was so crowded. It was messed up, you know. Do, do, do. All right. Wow, it actually looks these the new one works good too. So I guess it's okay. We don't want blue Merlin. Okay, this is good. Maybe I'll put one of these in my pocket in case I need it later on. What if my glasses are dirty when I'm seeing Stereo Lab? I can clean them off with the wipes. Yes, another wizard bird is Oracle of the Alpha. Yes. A new card that was released exclusively on Magic Arena, right? As Magic the Gathering is celebrating its um, 30th anniversary starting now and going into next year. Um, I guess, you know, their 30th year has started now, even though it's only been 29 years. So Um, They're doing some stuff like they're releasing this... uh, this like box set of of old cards like reprints of old cards but it's like you know how they have um the packs of you know like magic the gathering cards or baseball cards it's a little foil pack has like 15 cards in it right well they're reprinting the limited beta edition from 93 i believe and uh so they're selling a box containing four random 15 card packs reprinting these cards but not in a form that's legal to use in the game how much you think it costs one thousand dollars each pack is 250 dollars it's crazy craziness but anyway on the digital side of things i play magic arena which is a digital version of magic the gathering and uh, they have something called alchemy which is rather controversial um they are digital-only cards, cards that can do things that paper cards can't do, sort of like generate random things, etc. I like it because I, I just play Historic Brawl, basically, and it just adds more spice to the Historic Brawl. Um, Oracle of the Alpha is, is one of the new cards, and I, I've been playing with it. It's very cool. Um, it's a wizard. It's a bird wizard. <laughs> I see. I didn't even realize the connection. So it's like this humanoid wizard bird guy with all these like gems and stuff around him. It's uh, two mana and a blue uh, for a two three bird wizard with flying. And it says, when Oracle of the Alpha enters the battlefield, conjure the power nine into your library, then shuffle. Whenever Oracle of the Alpha attacks, scry one. So the power nine are these super powerful cards uh, from... 
the history of Magic the Gathering that they um, became very problematic for the game. They were too powerful. So they wound up sort of deleting them. And um, so this then now recreates those cards in your deck. It's so cool. Um, and it's sort of the mo- there's There's five Moxen. I know it's Mox Emerald, Mox Jet, Mox Pearl, Mox Ruby, and Mox Sapphire. You wouldn't, might want to say Moxes, but Moxen is apparently the, the nerdy way of saying it. Each of these is zero mana, and you can tap to add one, one mana. So it's basically like an extra land. There's also the infamous Black Lotus. Zero mana, sacrifice, add, add three, uh, three mana of any one color. That, of course, is the most valuable card in the entire game. Then you have Time Twister. Each player shuffles their hand into their graveyard. Sorry, each player shuffles their hand and graveyard into their library and then draws seven cards. I did that. I actually played that one recently. It was great. And I had something that doubled up cards. It was great. I was playing against the Shieldred, and they just they, they just conceded. Also, Time Walk, only for one and a blue. Take an extra turn after this one. Very powerful card. And Ancestral Recall. Target player uh, draws three cards only for one blue mana. So, <laughs> very cool. I've been really enjoying that. It, in Historic Brawl, where you have 100 cards, you might play a bunch of games where you never even see your Oracle of the Alpha uh, Wizard Bird. But when you do, it's kind of fun. So a lot of people are saying that they're just going to throw one in all their our decks that have blue in them. You know. So I've been enjoying it. Yeah, I mean, I got a Time Twister off, and I, I also got like a Mox Ruby and a Mox Sapphire. Now, of course, as I say every time I, I am on this topic, I bought packs of Magic in '93, and I had—I I know I had a Mox Pearl and stuff, and those could be worth ten, twenty thousand dollars now. But I gave them away. I gave them to Mad Mike in the late '90s, and then he gave them to someone else. My Magic cards—I should have saved them. I should have bought a ton of packs back then. But who knew? Who knew? So today's episode is called "I Have Hotel Called Identical Parkway." Yes. A uh, very dreamlike title. I have a hotel called Identical Parkway. And uh, I came up with that phrase, and then I plugged it into the AI image generator. Yeah, I'm still using that occasionally. I still think I should stop paying for it because I don't really use it very much. But anyway, I love the image I got here. Um, yeah, so this is mid-journey. So what I wrote in was, I have a hotel called Identical Parkway, lobby area at night, tiki bar, the people from your dreams, Sid Mead, ultra realistic. I figured I would put the people from your dreams in there. You know, who are these people in your dreams? Maybe the AI knows. But anyway, after so- some iterations, I got to that image you see there now, which it is in sort of a hotel lobby with these two somewhat identical towers. And there's almost looks like a road or a parkway, but it could be the floor of the lobby. There's a lot going on there. And it does look like there's a bar area with some people. I think it worked out very well. In fact, um, I think I got help from the typography gods. I was going to use I was going to use a font called Coronet, but as I started putting that in there, the computer crashed. <clears throat> so uh, when I got back to it, I, I just threw in any font, and it was Cooper Medium, and it looked so good. I'm like, no, let me keep Cooper Medium. Forget this Coronet crap. I thought Coronet would have looked interesting, but anyway. Uh, you know, Cooper is a font mostly known for Cooper Black, which is one of the foundational fonts of the universe. You know, you see Cooper Black everywhere. But Cooper Medium is just a beautiful font. 
rounded and comfortable looking and you can see it there um, so I really liked how that looked the typographically so I kept it I love this show art and uh, so what does it mean I have hotel called identical parkway well it's just sort of meant to, to be kind of like surreal and pointless in a way um, but the origin I definitely can give you the origin of the phrase when I was in Chattanooga, Tennessee, from a distance I saw a sign for a highway called Independence Parkway. But I misread it initially as Identical Parkway, and I just thought that was such a great phrase. I mentioned that on the Chattanooga episode. So I had that written down. And then, uh, oh, like last week, week and a half ago, whatever, um, on the exit ramp, I was trying to find a good cigar to smoke on the exit ramp, and I found that Diesel Rage so, like, just in my mind, I was thinking, I was trying to think something like, you know, oh, well, I'm going to say I have a cigar called Diesel Rage. But in my mind, I said I have a hotel called Diesel Rage. Like, momentarily in my mind, I replaced hotel with a cigar with hotel. And both words have consonant, vowel, consonant, vowel, consonant, right? They're both a similar structure of a word. But why did I, I have a hotel? And so I was thinking cigar, but it came out hotel. So I, have, so I have a hotel called Diesel Rage. I thought that was kind of an interesting phrase. So I wrote that down. Uh, so then I figured, why not combine the two ideas? And there, that's how I have a hotel called Identical Parkway came about. Uh, and I, there could be deeper meanings to it, symbolic meanings, you know. What does it mean that you have a hotel? Like a hotel that you like or you actually own the hotel? And it would be cool if there's a hotel just called Identical Parkway Hotel, you know? <laughs> what would Identical Parkway even be? It's like a parkway that's exactly the same as another parkway, but it's just some somewhere else. I don't know. It makes no sense. But I like it. All right, there's the construction guys across the street. I don't know what the heck they're doing. Some sort of major construction over there. <clears throat> anyway... I saw the Munsters, the new Munsters movie by Rob Zombie. And, you know, I've been hearing bits and pieces about this for years and never really thought very much of it. I assumed it would just be horrible. Um, you know, I was a mild fan of the Munsters. If it was on in reruns, I would watch it. Um, so I, uh, I checked out the Munsters movie, which is now on Netflix. And, uh, Shockingly, it was pretty good. But it's pretty c complex what's going on behind the scenes because I noticed that a lot of rev reviewers and people hated it and could and were like, this is the worst movie ever made. And uh, others actually liked it, like me. They kind of liked it. And I think it has to do with um, the style of... Uh, the movie was done in which is very rare these days and it's hard to even describe what the style is but <clears throat> there was in the 1970s on television right so i was there i'm old enough to have been there there was a lot of junky tv shows that always had skits and stuff you know like the variety shows like the sunny and Cher show or the mandrell sisters or uh, the Osmond Family Show, these variety shows where, you know, I know that there's been interest. Remember, they tried to bring back the variety show a couple years ago. I forget who I forget who tried to do it, 
maybe Rosie O'Donnell or something. Uh, but they were shows that they had singing and dancing, but then they would have skits, comedic skits. And these had this particular style, right, that um, were very corny, right, and, and almost like knowingly stupid in their jokes. But I, I, that style is something that we all in the 70s got very used to. And I think that style was descended from the days of vaudeville, right, and before – movies even it was a way of writing a skit and it felt like everyone involved there was sort of a a sense that the performers knew that what they were doing was stupid but that was part of what made it fun in a way again there's a lot going on here so it's kind of hard like i understand i just understand it intuitively but it's just to actually describe it is kind of weird but i feel like there was in vaudeville which was stage performances before movies, right? You would go see a bunch of performers perform one after the uh, one after the other, right? So you'd have jugglers and singers, and there'd be comedy skits of, of various sorts, and it, it was meant for a much different kind of audience at a much different time, right? And it's hard to sort of pinpoint why uh, that style that there was a there's a meta aspect to it as as I touched on which is that when the actors were doing these skits right you you know they were they would at times like on the Carol Burnett show for example they would at times kind of break character and start laughing and stuff but it it felt like a style with lots of plant plays on words and goofy physical comedy and things like that that if not a particularly great form of art it was actually kind of a likable style and I think a lot of the sitcoms in the past uh, followed that style as well and as I said I know this is very difficult to describe Um, this uh, holdover style of comedy which I think was you know, with Saturday Night Saturday Night Live, for example, they kind of updated the formula to be a bit more of the moment. Au courant, is that the right word? Um, you know, the whole, um, the underground, the underground scene, you know, after the hippie age and all that stuff. There was that style, but this former style of just sort of a, a goofy style, like I could just remember, like, they would, like, the the Osmonds variety show would have like a Wild West saloon and the cowboy walks in and drinks sarsaparilla. Then they start bashing chairs over their heads, but of course they're made of balsa wood. And it was almost like going through the motions of like, <clears throat> they just had to do some skits. So they just used like these, these, these worn out concepts and these themes and stuff. But it's a style that doesn't really exist anymore. Right. Now, on the same token, um, the Munsters obviously are related in a way to the Universal Studios monsters, you know, the Dracula, Wolfman, Mummy, Frankenstein. But then also the monster party phenomenon, which, of course, I've examined extensively over the years on this show, 
um, the idea that um, a Dracula, a Frankenstein, and a and a uh, and a Wolfman, and then the ancillary Invisible Man and Creature from the Black Lagoon, whatever, can get together and have a party. The movie, uh, sorry, the the novelty song, the Monster Mash, clearly was a big part of that. But the idea that uh, I think it sort of came from, right, <laughs> the idea that. A lot of these B movies were trying very hard to be serious and scary and horrifying, but the special effects were so bad and the acting was so bad and the sets were so bad, it became a thing unto itself to kind of make fun of that and enjoy that type of thing. Right? So our enjoyment of those monsters I think started in a similar vein as those skits, right? That even though it is poorly done in a way, you it's sort of likable, right? So the Monsters, as a TV show, um, you know, had a family of monsters. Herman, the father, is a, a, a Frankenstein. The mother, Lily, is a is a Dracula. She's a vampire, and the son is a werewolf. The grandpa's a vampire. They have a pet dragon, and then they have one daughter that's completely normal, which they're horrified by, right? Apparently, it, it was it came on the same day that Adam's family came on, which was a similar show. But not as tied to uh, specific universal monster type characters, but just a really creepy family. Um, and I think it sort of was monsters were groovy and almost more of that pre hippie sort of beatnik way, right? Like, and you had the groovy ghoulies as a cartoon in the seventies as well. Um, so we've seen a lot of remakes of things. I'm thinking it was a long time ago, but the remake of the Flintstones, also with Rosie O'Donnell, interestingly. Um, and those movies were, like, horrible. Like, the, the the approach they took to remaking the movies was to kind of try to make them seem more modern or with today's humor. And then, of course, in recent years, we have this new writing style in movies. I suppose you could call them remakes in a way. All the Marvel movies and the Star Wars movies um, – they have a particular writing style that I find really quite off-putting, and I don't like it. And I don't, again, there'd be a whole analysis as to what that writing style is all about. Um, but I don't like it. So when I was watching The Munsters, I was abs- the, the new movie by Rob Zombie, and I had never seen I don't think I watched any of his movies. I, I know he's into the super gory horror movies. It's just not my thing. Um, I thought that song Dragula was pretty good. Dig through the ditches and burn through the witches and slam in the back of my Dragula. And of course, a related song, The Satanic Rites of Drugula by Electric Wizard is another good song. Dracula, Dragula, Drugula, you know. Anyway, the Munsters basically... Its its approach and its strategy is to embody the style of humor from like a 70s sitcom or especially like just a super corny uh, variety show skit, right? And just go all in with that style, right? It's not referencing that style. It is that style. And it just seems so strange in today's world to just have something that is that style. Um, but in a way, it was incredibly refreshing, and I thought it was an absolutely brilliant decision 
to it is as if it was sort of being produced in the 60s right even the jokes had talked about john wayne and fred astaire things like that you know uh yeah one particular segment where where grandpa is like trying to build the perfect band so lily doesn't marry Herman, puts all these ingredients in this big boiling pot including the chest hairs of of tarzan and Gene Kelly and Fred Astaire's shoes and uh, John Wayne's cowboy hat. And what comes out is his dancing like monkey man. He's like, oh, no, it was the chest hairs from Cheetah the Chimp. <laughs> like, it was just so brilliant. But only be- because I'm so familiar with that style. People under a certain age won't get that style. And the style itself is, it is, the style of humor is it is shitty. It is like stupid, but it's likable in a way if you know the context, which is really weird. It's like a very, that's why I'm saying it's complicated. This movie is completely on that level. It never descends into modern meta commentary or anything. It is just completely on that 60s level of, 60s, 70s level of kitschy, corny humor. And in that respect, I would say the movie is utterly brilliant in its approach and its style. I was stunned and amazed by it. Um, I would say that uh, beyond that, the movie itself, considering that it it chose an incredibly, to me, brilliant um, style, the movie itself is um, a bit shaky in a way i mean it's, just, it's like sort of a series of s- semi-unrelated skits in a way uh, but i find it very likable um the casting i guess lily who i thought was excellent in the role i didn't find out till afterwards it's rob zombie's wife sherry moon zombie i never heard of her before i thought she was really good everyone was really good the guy that played grandpa i've seen him bef- when i saw him without the makeup Everyone is really good, and, and the look of it is good. It's it's meant to be like this very over-the-top, like lots of greens and purples and just very like a psychedelic poster kind of lighting, but also very like low budget. Like there's uh, Uncle Gil, who's a creature from the Black, Black Lagoon. It's just like this sort of cheap mask and hands you get from a costume shop. And also just like the... There's no explanation as to, like, they live in Transylvania where, like, everyone's a monster. You know, like, it just, that milieu is not explored. Or it just, it, it just is. It just is this wor- place where all these monster people live, you know. And interestingly, it's rated PG, so theoretically children could watch it. And as some people commented, it is kind of a children's movie. It's just so different in today's world. It's very likable. I'm actually thinking of watching it again. Um, but some of the reviews I've seen just utterly completely trashing it um i can understand i can understand that without the context without the history and without having been immersed in and soaking in that like corny crappy humor from the 60s and 70s that it wouldn't really make much sense right it it is uh without any context i can imagine it would just be horrifyingly bad and that's what's interesting I, d- I really I don't know if <coughs> anyone has looked at the ages of the of the reviewers and you know like 
it is kind of an unknown art form. And I would say different than the writing on the... It's a bit different than the writing on the old sitcoms. It is... Right, those skits and stuff were more... More, like, shitty and more kitschy than, like, even the sitcoms were. Beyond that, I mean, how the hell do you make a movie out of the monsters anyway? You know, I'm not really sure. Like, I'm sure there would have been other approaches to it, but... I don't know. I thought this one was pretty brilliant, and I th- I feel like this is going to have legs as a cult film. Um, I'm sure Rob Zombie's about my own my age. Let me see how old he is. He's got to be a similar age because de- he de- I definitely get his sensibility. Let me look up Rob Zombie. <laughs> it's his real name. Yeah, his name is Bob Cummings. <laughs> okay, and he is uh, he's just like a year and a half older than me. He was born in January '65. So, very close in age to me. So, he was, I'm sure, immersed in the same TV world I was immersed in. And, uh... the hell? Jeez, all these noises. Yeah, that, that, that definitely kind of explains it. <laughs> but it is kind of an example of... You know, like, for me, like, with Midtown Manhattan... A lot of people always said, oh, my God, I hate Midtown. It's, like, it's so boring. It's not cool like Brooklyn or downtown or anything. But once you're there for a while, you really get to love it because you're sort of forced to be in it so much. You, 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 you sort of begin to, like, sort of grow a reluctant love for it, you know. And I think with that TV in the 70s, which was so important, the absolute most important form of entertainment you can get in your house was television and kind of having to put up with like the shitty television in the 70s you you got to really like it for all of its foibles and weaknesses right (laughs) but how do you like you can't really convey that unless you were forced to live through it you know unless you're forced to live through a sort of a reluctant love for this kind of corny crappy television it's not a style that's going to be particularly uh, relevant in f- to future generations, right? But anyway, just as a note on the story, it's a prequel. <laughs> of course, it is. Everything's a prequel. It sort of shows the or the origin story of the monsters. And um, it's funny because that guy who who played Hurley and Lost is is like a, a hunchback in it. I I thought it looked like him. I couldn't really tell exactly. And there's a few cameos, like apparently Butch Patrick, who played the original uh, Eddie Munster, the the kid, plays like th- it's it's cool because in that world of monsters, there's just there's like he's like just a ro- like this crappy robot, and he he performs a wedding ceremony. <laughs> That's a Butch Patrick. Apparently Pat Priest, who played uh, Marilyn, I don't know if she was in the first season. It's a different name, but Marilyn, the daughter, she does she does a voiceover when they go on a plane. Transylvania Airlines Flight 666 to Los Angeles. And Elvira's in it as a, as a real estate agent, but not as Elvira, just as a different character. Yeah, then they arrive in Los Angeles. Like, you know, they lose their castle. They go to Los Angeles. And and also, <laughs> Sylvester McCoy, who was Doctor Who, plays uh, the assistant Igor who gets turned into a bat. I, I guess there was a bat named Igor in the show. I don't know. I'm not that. I mean, I don't. I'm not an expert on the monsters, but I mean, I would say that I'm fond of the idea of the monsters. I don't sit around watching the monsters, the original show, though. I would really have no desire to to watch it anymore. But 
I suppose if there was an episode on TV, but I don't really watch TV like that anymore just to see what's on. I watch things specifically. Anyway. So, I would say I, I really like the Munsters, but, you know, I, the, what I find really interesting is that aspect of it's a, it's a s- style of comedy that is completely of another time. But I was there, but a lot of people are too young to have been there. So I can understand why people, like, someone was like, they should teach this in film school. It's a movie that does nothing right. It's the worst movie ever made. And it's, like, really wild the way people are, like, trashing it. In that I feel it's, it's so all in on the style is chosen. It's actually quite likable in a lot of ways. Oh, yeah, and there's also, like, a Nosferatu-type character that was kind of interesting. Yeah, there's a lot of side characters, like a mad scientist guy. And then there's this scene where they go to France, and it's like this, like, hyper, like, stylized version of France. That, like, it's almost in a style that no one would do today, and not, not a hint of, you know, what do we call wokeness these days. Not a hint of that in the movie. Just a purely 60s, late 60s to early 70s sensibility. Anyway... Check it out <laughs> if you're of a certain age. I don't know, but I do think I, I could imagine kids of today liking it. Liking it, I think they might pick up on some of, like, sort of subtly pick up on some of the um, the cues or some 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 of those aspects uh, from past the comedy. Endless drilling or whatever the sawing, whatever the hell that is. All right, I think I'm ready. I'm going to be heading out soon to Brooklyn for a solitary journey to see Stereo Lab. Some late breaking news here Angela Lansbury has died at age 96. Yeah, she, of course, uh, star of Murder, she wrote a show. I don't know if I really watched that much, but she was a, a murder writer, and then every week someone around her got murdered, something like that, and she had to solve it. Um, she also was in Bed Knobs and Broomsticks in uh, 1971, sort of uh, one of these Mary Poppins wannabe movies, kind of like uh, Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. I should try to watch Bed Knobs and Broomsticks. I know I tried to watch it a while back. I didn't get too far. Uh, but yeah, that was a good one. Who, who was who was the male co-star there? David Tomlinson? Yeah, I don't know who that is. Oh, oh, yeah, that guy. Wait, he was also in Mary Poppins. Listen, they're really trying to, you know make another Mary Poppins. It's hard. There was another Mary Poppins. Mary Poppins Returns. I remember trying to watch that one too. That was dreadful. Just dreadful. Anyway. All right. I'm heading out and maybe I'll give you some reports from the road. We'll see. I'll do it on my phone. I like to travel light. But it's weird because it's not too cold right now, but later on it's going to be around 50, so... I just have my mumbly t-shirt and then my uh, Grand Central fleece that I bought many years ago. I probably mentioned it on the show when I bought it. It has a clock on it. Grand Central Station's 100th anniversary. All right. Let's go to Brooklyn. All right, here we are at the Port Authority bus terminal. Kind of an interesting ride in here. And look at this. This is a performance space. Uh, what am I even seeing here? There's a woman dancing. 
she's sort of uh, oh she's painting while she's dancing she's creating the artwork it's called let hair down and she is dancing on top of these canvases there's like paint or ink on her feet this feels like almost like a like like a, a swing in london happening or something look at this let hair down this is wild kanami kusajima wow let Hair Down is Kusajima's handle as a street performer who does a series of daily street performances mainly at Washington Square Park in New York. Let Hair Down was born when NYC was still going through the darkest time right after the lockdown caused by the COVID-19 pandemic. She started to perform on the street to remind people of the warmth of human connections and the beauty of emotion we have, of the emotions we have, which cannot be replaced by online activities. A unique performance style where dancing and painting are combined together has drawn a lot of attention from different media. Her articles were published in New York Magazine, AM New York, Mainichi Shimbun, Japanese newspaper, The Villager, The Village Sun, Arcturic's official website, among others. Also in summer 2021, she was featured in an NYC recovery promotional project, No Stopping New York, led by NYC Governor Government which highlighted the resilience of New York City after the highest peak of the COVID-19 pandemic. Let hair down, I dance for you. And there she is, she's right there, she's doing it, she's painting. And uh, there's all of the canvases where she, uh, wow, that's pretty cool. It's like art, this is so cool. You can Venmo her too if you want, Kanakusa97. down the show notes. All right. Well, let's continue on here. I do have a schedule after all. That was pretty cool, though. Um, it was a pretty typical uh, drive-in. You know, I, and also before I left, I had to eat a big. Uh, I, I made uh, Frank's famous fried tofu. I figured that would that would hold me over because who knows? I don't think I'm eating anything else for the rest of the night. Basically, where am I going to find to eat over there? Um, there she is, Kanami. Um, so, yeah, on the way there, it was it's sort of dusk, so the you saw the buildings of the skyline of New York City and the dusk with the the sun the the, the setting sun reflected on them, really beautiful. But we, uh, you know, of course, this bus has to go through that office park in Lynnhurst, uh, you know, by Polito Avenue. So when we were finally done and getting back on the main road there, we heard all these police sirens. And then we looked and there was a truck. And on the back of the truck was a PATH train car, like a subway car. You know, the PATH train is, is the subway that goes between New York City and New Jersey. It looked like a brand new PATH train was on this truck. It said oversized load, and there was a police escort. And we, we turned right onto the road there, and we were right behind the path, the path train of the police escort. And I took a few still pictures, and then later, later on on the highway, I, got a, I made a really good video as we passed by it. It looked like it may have gotten into a little trouble on a bridge, underneath a bridge. But anyway, that was so cool to see. This must be, I can't imagine that's, is that's how they deliver new path trains, this like via truck? They can't like, they can't like run it on a rail or something. I don't. I guess not. I don't know. Wow, that was really wild. 
I posted it. I posted the video to Facebook. Maybe some of you saw it. So it's not every day you see a path train on the highway. See, that's the kind of post I think that will get a lot of views because people like that kind of stuff. It's a train on a road. Yeah, I hope it didn't get stuck under there. I hope not. Anyway, yeah, so now I'm going to head down to the uh, AC or the E train and uh, get on over to uh, the old Brooklyn. I, I think I'm, I'm doing good on time. I don't want to get there too early, you know, I'm standing around there doing nothing. All right, I'll give you some updates on the trip. Hey, I'm at 14th Street Station. I'm about to get through the L here. But this is a station that has a lot of those sculptures by that guy. I forget his name, Tom something. Here's like two little bronze people with a giant hammer. But yeah, it's like, uh, there's a lot of his stuff. There's, there's some more down here too. Some more uh, pieces by the same artist. Remember, remember I saw one of his statues in Chattanooga out in front of that art museum? Here's a guy with a bag of money for a head. Some people with some sort of a, a coin. It's kind of cool see how we're doing here. Get the L train. So this is the end of the line, so I guess I guess I can go in this one if I want to get a seat. Is that the idea? Is that the concept? Or should I just go on this one? I don't know. I guess I'll go over this one. So I can have a seat. Canarsi Local. Yeah, the L was never a big part of my subway routine. I know my brother had to take the L for a while, as I mentioned. What time is it here? 6.55, yeah. See, there was plenty of time. There should be. Could be there in about 20 minutes or so. Could be interesting. Let you know how it goes. Got here to Graham Avenue pretty quick. It's only 710. Yeah. About a 10 minute walk from here to Brooklyn Steel. subway now. I think I mentioned that before. I have like G-Pay and, and you, like, you just tap it and you buy stuff. I know that's been going on for years. I'm kind of behind the time for this. I still have a subway card though. I gotta use that up. I think it expires the end of the month. Alright. Now when you exit the subway you're always disoriented. Like what direction are you in? But I did look at this corner on uh, Google Maps, and I believe I will go this way. I think I found the right direction. So this is Williamsburg. This is one of these uh, gentr gentrified areas, as they call them. It's been gentrified. Brujos, Brooklyn Taco Company. The wrestling mask with its logo. Very, very gentrified. Yes. Oh, a cigar store. Nice. 
Graham Avenue via Vespucci. What? This is via Vespucci. I didn't see that on the map. Yeah, I brought my eye drops. I got my needles. More eye drops in my right eye. It's doing much better, but it's still not 100%. It's just a little tiny bottle. It fits in my pocket. Gentrified area. This area is not cheap, I don't think. A lot of people have been priced out of this area. Expensive area to live. Williamsburg. So they put fancy music halls here. Nothing else good here. So there was a street called something. I don't remember the name of it, but I think I'll recognize it when I see it. That I turn right. This is it? Yeah. Con... Consolier? Con... Consolier Street. That's the one. I'm gonna turn right on that. See, this, this looks just like Google Maps, but in real life. left on Wood Point. Kind of a quiet area, kind of a residential area. Crossing Skillman now, so Brooklyn Steel should be up in the distance. Won't be long now. Yeah, I remember being in this, this part of Brooklyn before a couple times. It is kind of quiet kind of a slightly liminal feeling to that place. Well, it's been gentrified after all. It's been emptied out of its previous life and now it's been injected with new life. New, new, more well-to-do life. Yeah, I think that those, uh, those people I used to know that, that, that were running that dot-com company, I hung out with them a couple times. I think they lived somewhere around here. It feels like the same the same kind of neighborhood, but that was over 20 years ago now. I'm getting the same vibe. On the corner there, KL5 Coffee. Yeah, man. Brooklyn. It's Brooklyn. So how does this sound? It doesn't sound too bad, right? I know I've done this in the past, like when I went to the Vatican. They're in, in Italy. Well, once you're in the Vatican, you're in a different country, but I think it sounds all right. And this shows you, all you gotta do is use your phone and get like an MP3 recorder, like super voice recorder, this one, or any of a million other ones. And uh, you can record for the central and it'll sound fine. Just put it up to the side of your head as if you're uh, making a phone call, or I'm sure you have just some sort of Bluetooth device or something. All right. I think this was the right street, right? Wood, Wood Point, is this the right street? It's, it's gotta be up, yeah, I think it's up here a little bit. Wood Point. Brooklyn Steel. They're saying it's on something like Frost Avenue or something. It's gotta be it up there, right? Somewhere up there. So I was thinking like, this theory about 
um, being able to tap into the past using futuristic technology, right? Like, let's say that I really am someone in the year 8000 and I'm synchronizing with this Frank Nora character, right? Um, this Frank Nora person. Um, but now I'm talking about this, like, oh, there's someone from the future that's synchronizing with me. I know it sounds like crazy talk. But anyway, so I'd have to find in the vast depths of the multiverse a person who had the delusional belief that they might, there might be a person in the year 8000 synchronizing with them but is completely false at the time. The person's just delusional, yet actually in the year 8,000, someone's actually doing it. You see what I'm saying? Because it's all stuff that already happened. You see what I'm saying? Does that make any sense? It makes sense to me. What, am I delusional? I don't think I'm from the year 8,000, please. I'm a regular person, what do you want? Is that it? No, is that the venue? No. Wait, it looks like it, though. If it is, it's very anonymous. It's very dark. I hope I have the right night. <laughs> What's going on here? That's got to be it, right? I don't know. No, that's not it. Oh, there it is. It's okay. There it is. Over there. I see it now. Something, something, Frost Street. Ooh, homemade kitchen. That's a cool little Chinese restaurant. I see it in the distance. But anyway, that's just a theory. I'm not saying that's what's happening. But it could be what's happening. And it's not even like it's, uh, it's wrong or anything because all this stuff already happened. It's not like it's uh, spying on people. Like it's history, it already happened. It's all done thousands of years done but you can observe it you can sort of synchronize with it in theory you know what you know what i'm saying yes all right oh for oh, this becomes frost avenue okay i guess it's the end of wood point and the beginning of frost let's see here yeah. it's still a little bit too warm for this uh little windbreaker I have on but uh later on I'll need it so it had to happen Ooh, I wonder if these are some stereo lab fans but I don't know are, could there be younger stereo lab fans or most of them I think be kind of older I always remember my honeymoon in 97 out in San Francisco we were on one of those cable cars and the cable car actually hit a car another example of a train and a, and a street vehicle crashing together merging together just like the path train on the truck today but we went to a soon thereafter we went to a music store and i got some cassettes including stereo labs 1997 release dots and loops and all on our trip we had a dodge sebring convertible and all on our trip we uh listened to these tapes and that one especially listened to a lot it starts off like it's almost like uh, morse code we need so damn many things to keep our crazed lives going. Yes. I think that was the beginning of my real love affair with the band Stereolab. All these people, they, everyone must be going to see Stereolab at this point. I would imagine. Here is BK Fit. 
It's just a, it's a gym. It's a hipster gym. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's see. Brooklyn Steel. It's in brackets, but the brackets are going the wrong way. It's pretty groovy. All right, so I got to go through the entrance process. Is there a line? Listen, I don't think Sarah Lev's that popular of a band, but I think they did sell it out, though. I think they, I think they need your, uh, your vaccine card or whatever, which I do have. All right, I'll be back. All right, we're in. This place is pretty cool. No, they just, they just checked, checked their ID to, so you can get a, band, a wristband to drink, and they didn't check for vaccine. I think that was mistaken information. Look at this place, though. It's like a cool old factory. Look at this place. Cool, man. Let me see what it's like in there. Gotta get some drinks. Is it open yet? Is it open? I don't know. We just go inside here. Cool. Oh wow! Look at this place. Great. Cool. There's like blue light on everyone. And uh, ah, there's all the instruments. Well, I guess that was that blue TV is gonna, blue jazz TV is gonna start off first. All right, let me see what I can find some, uh, something to drink. It's gonna be a long wait for Syria. This is a cool place though. All right, here by the merch booth. I guess, I guess I do have to get a shirt. Well, there's one I like, it's XL only, but that's the size I need. I should probably just grab that one. By the way, uh, the guy checking the IDs on, on the way in complimented my Mumbai shirt. See, it was the right choice for this land of potential hipsters of the past and future. All right, let me get a uh, starting away shirt. Orange on black. I guess I can jam it in my pocket, I guess. I don't know. I guess I could put it on over my shirt, too, but I don't want to block Mumbai, though. Decisions, decisions. Okay. All right, I got it. Only 25 bucks. Fits in my pocket easily of my windbreaker. Now, what's up in these stairs? There's a second level. I'm just gonna try to see what's going on up here. Ooh, there's welders masks here. It's a very industrial vibe. I don't know what's going on in the second level here. But it's cool. It's like really not very crowded. It has kind of a calm vibe. But it, this is probably like the VIP area, right? This is not like Strobes will be in use this evening? I don't know, it's just, I don't know. They're like, can you go go up here? I don't know. I guess you can just stay here, I don't know. Kind of a cool, kind of a cool spot. It's mostly where VIPs go. Interesting. Such a cool vibe in here. Pretty small place. Oh, there's the mixing console. Some people are trying to get up close. I mean, I, I wouldn't mind being close, but I don't, I don't really need to be, though. It's pretty wild. I can't believe I'm actually seeing stereo. That is so cool. It's amazing. All right. I need to decide where I'm going to, what my strategy is going to be upstairs or downstairs. I'm sure it'll get more crowded as time goes on anyway, but I don't know. I think I need a drink at this point. See what they have. 
All right, I got the uh, Voodoo Ranger Imperial IPA. It's a very tall can. Looks like it looks good. See, I'd really like to get the, the vinyl of, of the new um, the new record, but I, don't know, I guess I could just carry it. I'd have to carry it like by hand all the way home. I don't have a bag or anything. And do I even need it? Do I really need a vinyl record of Stereo Labs uh, switched on volume five? I mean, it wouldn't hurt, but I think I, I think I'll just listen to it on the streaming service, you know. Wow, I can't believe I'm at the Stereo Lab show. Look, Brooklyn people all around me. I could have been a Brooklyn person if I just had a little more money or more will to go to Brooklyn, I guess. I don't know. I've always just been in Jersey. I, I like Jersey, but it'd be kind of cool to be a Brooklyn person, too. I like these Brooklyn people. What am I, I, what am I, a hipster? I mean, to a degree, I suppose. And I got another compliment on my shirt from the, uh, the bartender, so it was the right shirt choice. Absolutely. I've never gotten two compliments on a shirt, ever, in a single place. And I would have worn something else if I didn't, if everything else wasn't in the wash. So it all worked out. And it's a little faded and cracked, which gives it more uh, what they call street cred in Williamsburg. Okay, okay. So, I took a picture standing here, like, with the crowd, waiting for the show to start, and the, uh, um, the picture came out so weird. It's like this weird, like, washed-out kind of image of these people and these blue lights and everything. Very cool. It really, it really, it really is mind-boggling to me, like, I don't think I've ever met anyone in real life that was a Stereo Lab fan. Maybe, maybe the guy Marcus I used to work with and lost touch with, and I, then I got... Remember, I got together with him earlier this year, right? I should try to email him. Um, he, he knows Stereo Lab, but I don't know very many, there are many other people that do. But all these people came here to see Stereo Lab, or maybe they go to all shows at Brooklyn Steel. Who knows? There are a lot of younger people that... I guess they could like Stereo Lab, but... You know. Stereo Lab is really... Uh, has, has entered a realm of uh, obscurity, like laser-hot fandom, very narrow but not wide, you know. So. Yeah, I'm not too, too far from the stage here. Of course, you have to wait for the opening band, of course. That looks like a real hipster band, like they're, they're wearing wigs and stuff and doing, like, soft rock, like, in an ironic way, you know what I mean? <laughs> so... People are vaping in here. Well, I guess it's legal now, right? It's a pretty magical moment. I'm so glad all of you can be here with me. Hopefully this recorder is working. <laughs> I imagine it is. It's worked in the past. It's a very good method for Vatican City and for Brooklyn. Yes. And it looks like I'm talking on the phone, right? Like I'm standing here. Who am I talking to on the phone while I'm waiting here? Maybe someone that supposed to meet me here they got lost and I'm like no go on Lorimer Avenue no go on Frost Street no it's Brooklyn don't get lost go on Woodpoint Lane please please do it so the opening band just walked out on stage and there was like no applause or anything but here they are yeah Blue Jazz TV 
Here they are. Kinley! What's going on? How are you guys doing tonight? TV is uh, finished, and I have to say, one of the most impressive opening bands I've ever seen in my life. Really good. I was not expecting that. I was really huge surprise. The other best uh, opening acts I've seen are uh, Grinder Man. That doesn't really count because that's Nick Cave's band, and uh, Screaming Females from New Brunswick, New Jersey. But this group was amazing. They were very much like a. Uh, very much inspired by Steely Dan, but I would say also um, Japan City Pop, which itself is very influenced by the West Coast sound and distantly related to Yacht Rock, I guess you could say. But what an amazing band. Um, the guy who was uh, singing and playing uh, the keyboards really reminded me of uh, Donald Fagan from Steely Dan, sort of crossed with Matt Frewer, you know, uh, Max Headroom. Very interesting guy. The drummer looked a lot like uh, uh, kind of a young um, Benny Hill. Really amazing. The uh, saxophonist and flautist uh, was looked a lot like Kid Rock. And the bass player had kind of a Phil Lesh vibe. And then there was also a guy and girl singer. Apparently, I think the video I saw where they were wearing wigs was uh, Karaoke Life, which is the song they uh, ended with. Super impressive. Uh, I had a really good spot there. I don't know. I have to go to the bathroom and get another drink. So who knows? Who knows if I'm going to get that spot again. But that was really an impressive opening act. But coming up next, Stereo Lab. All right. I'm waiting to get another beer. See, a lot more people are coming in now. It's going to be very crowded in there. But I'm uh, going to get another one of these Imperial IPAs. See, a lot of people know to come just to see they missed an incredible opening band, really. Quite impressive. Wow, I'm really impressed. Oh, look, that bartender has a t shirt of the paint. The uh, band from uh, Omaha, I believe. All right, I'm back on the floor. I'm a bit, I'm about 10 feet back from where I was, but there's no avoiding it. I'm still pretty good, though. Still in a pretty good spot, I suppose. I feel weird, like I'm, you know, I never think of myself as being especially tall, as I'm a little over six feet tall. But I, looking out the, at the crowd, I'm like, not many people as tall as me. I feel bad for anyone behind me. I'm like blocking their view. But it's necessary. Because it's Stereo Lab. Yeah. All right. I think they should be on soon. The texts are out. Again, making sure everything is in tune. Can't believe this is the same Stereo Lab that was played on the word. They played French disco back in God only knows when that was, early 90s. The YouTube video I obsess over. I think they'll be coming out soon. I don't actually know how many original members are there besides uh, Tim and Leticia, but we shall see. Real looking forward to this. 
hope they play some songs from Fab Four Suture. That was always the, the Stereo Lab album I put on when people were being really loud in the office and I needed to put my headphones on and just tune everything out. I think they play some of those. Maybe Vodiac or Get a Shot of the Refrigerator, one of those kind of songs. We'll see. I think like a lot of bands, I was looking at their set list on Setlist FM. I think uh, they play similar set lists every night and then they mix up a few songs. Listen, every band can't be fish, okay? By the way, what about my fish tickets? I gotta figure out what I'm going to see fish. New Year's Eve, New Year's Eve, uh, four days. They have the word peace on one of the amps in Dayglow orange tapes. Amazing. I can't believe I'm about to see them. Stereo Lab. French Disco. I don't know if they're gonna play French Disco. I would hope so, but it's not it's not necessary. They have so many good songs. I hope you can hear me. I, I don't know. It's very loud in here. It's almost too loud for my ears, but not quite. I know I recognize this song. Five years ahead of my time by the third Bardo. I think it's on one of those uh, psychedelic rock compilations I bought recently. I'm five years ahead of my time. Still waiting for Stereo Lab. Their people are still preparing matters for them on the stage. But I think we're close. We're close to the Stereo Lab. And the big question, what bus will I get? The 1140 or the 1240? Listen, I shouldn't be thinking about the bus at this point. I'm going to see a band I've been wanting to see for 25 years. Now, come on. Who cares about the bus? So what if I have to sit around the Port Authority bus terminal for 45 minutes? And it might seem like a day or two days with the time dilation. Five years ahead of my time. Coming soon. All right. All the texts are off the stage. I think we're almost ready. I managed to put some eye drops into the urinal. So my eye is good. I'm all ready for Stereo Lab. Soon. Very soon. Stereo Lab will be here. Here at Brooklyn Steel in Williamsburg, Brooklyn, in October 2022. All right, I think they're here. There's Leticia. Oh my God, look at this. They're coming out on stage. Wow. Stereo Lab is here. Can you believe it? Hello,
the album Nut Music is called Super Giant. Oh, I know that song. Wow. <laughs>
giving the fellow to someone. Wow, unbelievable. Yeah, I'm, I'm like, uh, wow. I am like uh, stunned. It's the best show I've seen all year. I've seen a lot of shows this year. This was definitely the best one. I've seen Tori Amos, Steely Dan, Jack White twice. Right? Luna, The Fix, Duran Duran, all these bands. This was the best show. It's hard to describe, but their music really feels like music from another dimension, music from another world. And that French disco was utterly amazing. I don't even mind I didn't get a free design. The fact they got a French disco, wow. Wow. All right, let me figure out what's going on here. I don't know if I have time to get the 1140. It's possible. I think it's possible. I may try for it. Anyway. Wow. I'll, I'll talk to you again outside. Wow. That was thrilling, amazing, stunning. Right up your alley. Wow. All right, I went to the bathroom. I'm good. Now, uh, got to get out of this place. And uh, theoretically, enough time to get to the Port Authority, but not much time left over for the old 1140. Highway bus. The bad bus, but I'll take it if I can get it. My left shoe is untied, but there's nothing I can do about it at the moment. People are stepping on it, the whole thing. I'm not going to buy the record. Figure out I can get it on uh, some other time and try to get over to the L train. Pick you up outside. All right, I'm out. Chaos outside here. All right, I'll just find a good spot to tie my shoes. Wow. So yeah, it's uh, 10.56, it's questionable if I can make it to the, 10, to the 11.40, but I'm going to try. Yeah, large crowd of people heading down Frost Avenue, towards Woodpoint Avenue, towards that essential L train. Try to get back to the uh, bus terminal. It's pretty exciting. Will I make it? I don't know. Yeah, that show was unbelievable. You know, the sound was a little off in the beginning, very loud, but they got it going. And uh, really, just what an amazing opportunity to see Stereo Lab live. As I said, I think it's the best show I've seen this year. Just amazing. Will I make it? We shall see. All right. I've been fast walking through Williamsburg with the other Stereolab concert goers. 
one guy I overheard say, you know, big spaceship is where my idea died. But, you know, I'm going to keep going. <laughs> the hell is big spaceship? It's where his idea died. Is this the avenue? This must be the avenue. This is the avenue. All right. I'm really on the edge of being able to make it to the 1140. I guess it all depends on the L train I get. Here it is. I'm walking as fast as I can. I gotta whip out my Metro card and try to get in there and get the next one. Try to get it. Right, we are Manhattan local, the L train, a few people here, so hopefully that means I didn't just miss one. And uh, my Metro card just uh, got down to $1.50, so it's pretty much done. Since the subway is now $2.75. I do remember when it was $1.50, but it's now $2.75. So really don't know how uh, often these L trains run at night, but uh, I'm still in the running. All right, there's one coming in 10 minutes. Okay, so at 11.17, ugh, I don't think I'm going to make it. It's right on the edge of making it. Listen, it's okay. I, I can get to 12.40. I tried. I, I really tried. So, I mean, if I get 11.17, yeah, it really is pushing it, pushing it very close. That's how it works here in the subway system, mass transit. You know, you may have to think if you don't get one, you're going to get the other. an A train with 11 minutes to go. It's possible, but not likely. 11 minutes. Can I get from 14th to the gate in 11 minutes? Oh, it's so close. local. I'm in the bus. It was like two minutes to spare. Oh my god. That was an epic, epic journey. I was running. Oh man. Of course now I have to walk home from the highway. But it's worth it not to have to wait an hour in this place. Stereo lab guy in the bus. He bought a copy of Dots and Loops. Oh, I am so happy I made it. Hmm. All right, I have arrived at the highway bus stop, where I was hoping not to have to uh, arrive, but it's better than waiting an hour. 
I did an episode once called The Bad Bus Midnight, and it's just midnight now. And I took the bad bus because it drops me by the highway. But I realized since the last time I dropped off here, there is that 7-Eleven over there, about a five-minute walk from here. Maybe I'll grab some chips and a drink, maybe some coconut water, and just grab an Uber home. You know what I mean? I think, I think it may be time to get an Uber home at this point. You know what I mean? I hope this is recording properly. Anyways, uh, yeah, I think that's what I'm going to do. So uh, thanks so much for patching in to this episode of The Overnightscape. Thanks for coming along with me to that concert. Really, I really think the best show I've seen all year. Uh, what an amazing show. I'm so happy I saw it. Um, so Such a rare opportunity. As I said, Stereo Lab broke up in 2009 and just got back together in 2019. And obviously a few years there were the pandemic, so there really hasn't been a lot of opportunities to play shows. So anyway, uh, this is The Overnightscape. I am your host, Frank Edward Norrie, here in the Onsug, a radio station inside a book. Go to onsug.com for all of your Onsug needs. And please participate in Overnightscape Central. You'll be happy you did. As I mentioned earlier, you can record in your phone like I'm doing. It'll sound fine. And now, let us uh, switch over to another concert in another place. The year 8,000. How about the year 9,000? Check it out. This is The Other Side. fine and useful films available about the mental health of children for professionals and the general public too. During the next 30 minutes we're going to show you some revealing parts of these films. Here is Walter Clark of the National Clearinghouse for Mental Health Information to tell you about the first group of film segments. You've just seen a few frames from films dealing with the mental health of children. These films were designed to help children survive emotionally in a world dominated, not too successfully, by adults. The film clips you are about to see were taken from films that fall into about three categories. The first group was taken from films designed for use by teachers in the classroom to help children say how they feel about things that happen around them. The idea is that if children can learn to express their feelings freely, then perhaps they will be able to cope more successfully later on. 
Here, for instance, are excerpts from a few films of this type. Nice shot, CG5! We have chosen to call this type of film stimulus films. I don't feel like it. I just don't feel like it now. Come on, Gary, the place is deserted. You want to be a picture, don't you? Come on. Ah, you missed my mouth. You're sick. My partner. What does he do? He leads the brakes. Oh, that's nothing. Anybody could turn a screw or put on tires or something. Yeah, but he has to. You have to do it the right way because the car has to stop and not on the right way, it could cause an accident. So you're saying your father's important? It is an important job. Well, if he's so important, what kind of car does he drive? He has a Chevrolet. It's five years old, it's not even running. It's at the garage where my father's working now. Anybody that was important probably have a new Cadillac or something. Mm. Corvette or something. Can't be very important if he had just a little old Chevrolet. Come on, Eddie, let's go. I guess there are a lot of times when I feel I'm a nobody. But my father, I always thought of him as an important person, a somebody. Is he out of it like I am? Possibly, we can't all be heroes the great earth-shaking kind. But do you think, in a certain sense, heroes can come in different sizes and in unexpected places? Do you think that, in a way, even the unknown person could be a kind of hero? Is it possible that when we do what we feel should be done, each of us can become a kind of hero, each of us, even you?
fastest action 3D pinball you'll ever find is in cyberspace. Outpost Odyssey from Sierra. Based on the rich graphics in Sierra's blockbuster Outpost, Odyssey delivers true table feel and authentic bumper friction. Fastball action hits you hard with multi-ball play, rich animation, and scores of 3D bonuses. Follow the ball through the mine shaft, the underground lab, the command post and factory out to the planet's surface. With interconnected play fields, it's like playing four games at once. Drop into Multimedia Central for trick shot tips from world champion wizards. Transport in to Outpost, the ultimate pinball odyssey.
Meet Nicole, your typical average housekeeper, more or less. Think she puts out? Meet Lester, the chauffeur, a man who demands respect. Green, please stay away from the car I just washed. Sure. And meet Philly, a fast learner, curious, eager to find out things they don't teach in school. Obviously, this kid needs private lessons. Go and close the door. What? I said close the door. Private lesson number one. Learn to work with your hands. My breasts, how do you like them? Oh, uh, nice. They're very nice. Would you like to touch them? Touch them? Yes. She takes off all her clothes. Everything. And I mean everything. So then what? What do you mean, so then what? So then I came here to tell you. Are you kidding me? Private lesson number two. You don't have to swim to enjoy water. Would you like to join me? Would I like to what? Take a bath with me. You mean in there with you right now? Mm-hmm. Private lesson number three. Tell them what they want to hear. I don't think that you're a, a whore or anything like that. It's very sweet of you, Philly. You what? You asked her to marry you? What are you, sick? Don't say a word, my virgin child. Just let your inhibitions run wild. The secret is... Private lesson number four. Keep your elbows off the table. Monsieur, wish some dessert? The Napoleon potato? The rum or baba? The mousse or chocolate? The mousse is very nice for you, madame. It is, uh, how you say, something wrong? No, thank you very much. We've had enough. Tonight, tonight, it's gonna be a... Boy meets woman is more fun than boy meets girl, but he has a lot more to learn before graduation day. She didn't think she was going to love this assignment. Sylvia Cristal in her sexiest role since Emmanuel. He was much better off in Cincinnati. Howard Hessman, TV's Johnny Fever, gets his own private lesson. What happened to him should happen to you. Eric Brown, the luckiest kid on the block. Your own fantasies come to life in private lessons. With music performed by Rod Stewart, Eric Clapton, and others. I was a child, I would pretend 
one of the Boston beans. <laughs> Stand. Mm. 
My lord, I will obey your every command. My dearest Andrew, listen well and obey this my command. Conquer the earth. My lord, I will obey your command. Hear me well, Andrew. We must conquer the earth. Conquer all the planets of the solar system, whatever the cost. Give me power, my lord, and then I will become commander of the whole solar system. These last few days we have had strange interference from unknown frequencies. Have you noticed? It's also interfering with our signals. Have you been able to identify it? Not yet, I'm afraid. But we'll... What's the matter? We have communication interference, cause and origin unknown. Programmer, I want an identification of that object out there. Right. I've never seen a spacecraft behave like this in my whole life. Well, now, that's strange. Captain. What is it? The station is moving off course. I don't know how this could happen. Never mind. I want you to get us back on course now. Captain, that mysterious spacecraft is headed toward us. What are your orders, sir? Controller, put me through to the whole ship. Yes, sir. I have an announcement to make. Listen well, everyone. The situation is critical. We are being approached by a spacecraft of which we know nothing, but whose presence coincides with the ship veering off course inexplicably, and our transmissions are being blocked. So I declare a red state of emergency. You know what that means. Be ready for the worst, and good luck to everyone. How's the computer? Were you able to block those strange frequencies? Yes, I did. Everything's working fine. That's excellent. Let's start the testing right away. Yes, Doctor. Everything is at the ready, and we're just waiting for your orders. Then let's start the flying test. Get everything ready. Super Mazinga 3, go! to fly in space, whatever the danger. Well said. Get back to the research center straight away. 
All right, we'll be right back. Looks like our flying test was a real success. Prepare to return. David, why not fly her a little longer? She's right, buddy. This is our chance. Why not fly a bit more before returning to base, huh? No, Dr. Han told us to return to base, so that's what we'll do. Contact! never seen anything like it before. I... I can't figure out what it is. M maybe it's a ghost ship, huh? Don't be such an idiot, you dummy. Why, are you afraid of ghosts or what? Be quiet, you two. This is no time for joking. Oh no, I think it's going to attack us. a close call, David. I've never seen anything like it. Let's check it out. Where did it go? Oh, I don't like this. Let's go back. I can't understand it. It just disappeared. Oh, it's attacking. What should we do now? We defend ourselves. What do you think? Attack! strategy get ready Mazinga 3 separate now
retreating. I'm wondering why they attacked us. That's what I'm wondering, too. That must be the strongest robot on planet Earth. Yes, it's quite impressive. Let's find out more about it from the investigative agency. I just couldn't. I couldn't possibly tell you. It's, it's here. Can't you feel it? This whole room. Everything is in color, and and I can feel the air. I can I can see it. I can see all the molecules. Straight up, then it won't do that. <laughs> 